You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Well, hey guys. Uh, we are closing out our all-in series. This is something that we've done, not done at Grace for seven years. It was seven years ago, before that, eight years before that, we did something like this. All-in is something we've actually planned for months. We prayed for you for months, and it's culminated in this seven-week initiative. All-in's built around this one question. Here's the question. Will you commit to ask God about your generosity? Will you listen and will you do that? And this question has been incredibly healthy for our church. And I've also seen some things that I just did not realize. Maybe it's been years since this happened. Um, I, I kind of hear comments made. You don't hear about any other topic. Then you hear about generosity. Let's talk about what God's doing with our topic, the topic of generosity. I'm going to share the key verse for this series, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, which says this. Paul writes, a church, but as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So that this concept, this topic of this grace Paul's writing about is generosity. And in this verse, we find several incredible principles. First of all, generosity is no more or no less important than any other topic from faith to love, generosity should be spoken about just as often, not more often, equally often. Uh, but you do hear phrases. I guess it just kind of jumped out at me more now than seven years ago and 15 years ago. Like you hear comments about uh, teaching about generosity. You never hear about other topics. Like you never hear, at least I've never heard, oh, seriously? We're going to have seven weeks on faith? I mean, do we need seven straight weeks on faith? You never hear that comment. You never hear, okay, I went to a church, the entire church service was built around knowledge. Like all these people wanted to do was to know God and know the Bible more. You never hear that. You never hear the phrase, diligence. You know, I frankly think diligence is a personal issue, whether I'm faithful or not. And I'm kind of frankly offended the church would offer to help people to be diligent. Like you never hear that. And you never hear, oh, you know what, oh, I am so sick of churches talking about love. Every church I've ever gone to is just love, love, love. Like, all the church wants me to do is love more. Like, you never hear these comments. Like, this topic of generosity is incredibly healthy for our church. And I thought about a metaphor for this. Here's a piece of paper. So I'll kind of put it. Here's what life is, looks like normally in a church. Normally in a church, I guess here's our, our diagram. So you got to picture this kind of metal slide. This is a, these are people who are cold spiritually. These are lukewarm. They're not really hot spiritually, not cold spiritually. These are people that are really following Jesus. Imagine kind of a greased up slide. In the typical church, they are very happy. You're not speaking about generosity. And so over here, it is very difficult to be cold and consistent in a church. You'll be sliding toward the lukewarm middle. It's very difficult to stay on fire for Jesus. You'll be sliding back toward the middle. But when you speak on generosity, the script is flipped. And you have all the people, this kind of most of your church, which stays 
like not really on fire, not really cold, because it's a greased up slide, like the movie The Titanic. Ah! They, they either fall into being on fire for God. So here's the lukewarm middle, like fall, they are going to be on fire for Jesus Christ. Or now they're pushed away. You know what, I, I kind of was lukewarm, but now I'm not lukewarm. Now I am cold. This is incredibly healthy polarization that has happened because of the topic of generosity in our church. And we've seen people grow, grow tremendously. Here's two quick quotes for you, by the way. One quote uh, says this. It says, I want to be all in. I have been reading God's word every day for two weeks now. I'm growing closer in faith and getting closer to God. I want to live and do what he asks. I've stopped trying to control my life when it is not my life anymore. Because that's spiritual growth. That's the goal of all in. Asking God what to do, listening and doing that. Another quote, it goes beyond just generosity financially. Going all in doesn't mean just going all in regarding our tithing commitment. But it's going all in in an effort to save my marriage. To be the woman, to be the wife, to be the mother that God himself expects me to be. Guys, it's been incredibly healthy. I even heard another, a grace group, a grace group, and they initially heard we're going to spend seven weeks talking about generosity. They were not excited. Uh, But afterwards, they they thanked me and thanked us because they said every one of our members in our grace group were comfortable. And all of us have grown more spiritually now because we challenge people to talk about generosity, to pray about generosity. And so it's been really incredible. So that's kind of what God's been doing in our church through the topic of generosity. Really, really healthy polarization, healthy spiritual growth. I want to turn our attention to kind of what God's doing with the church, with the larger church now. And we're going to be, uh, you know, in this series, I've taught a whole series through Joshua 1 through 6. All those messages are online. They're out there. Please go out there and pick it up. But this week, I want to kind of step back, kind of bird's eye view, and see why would God be doing such great things in a topic like generosity in a church? What is Jesus trying to accomplish through the church? Why do we exist as a church? Why are we attempting to plant up to 100 churches over 20 years, international missionaries? Church plants domestically, extra campuses right here in Kansas City. Why would we do that? There's this incredible promise. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. If you turn your Bible to Matthew 16, 18, let me speak of the church for just a moment. The word church, we're going to see mentioned, is the first time it's mentioned in scriptures here in Matthew 16, 18. The word church is mentioned 115 times in the New Testament. The word church, two thirds of those times, is a local church. One-third is the global church, big C church. But two-thirds, twice as often, God talks about your engagement in your local church you're committed to than the global big C church. And here in this promise, we're going to see five words, five points about what the church is all about, where Jesus shares his heart and his promise for the church. Here's the verse, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Five words, five points about the church. And the gates of Hades 
literally the headquarters of hell shall not prevail against it. See, Jesus, the first time he mentions the word church in Scripture, says the church is central to his plan to defeat spiritual enemies in this world and spread his kingdom around this world. The church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. We're going to talk about those five words, I will build my church, how each one of those words represents something else about the church. What has God been trying to accomplish through this topic of generosity in our church? And what is he going to keep accomplishing after this series? Those five words, five points. If you're taking notes, uh, you can write the first word down as the word I. What does the word I represent? The church is about Jesus. The church is about Jesus. Guys, the church is, is Jesus' plan that he, he came up with the idea of the church. The church is Jesus' design. The church is this incredibly flawed, beautiful, broken community which shows Jesus' glory. The first word, I will build my church, that promise starts with I. It's, the church starts with Jesus. And so I want to go over uh, in Colossians 1.18, look how, how personally Jesus takes the church. Well, as personally as you, your head takes your body. He says, Colossians 1.18, he says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things... He, Jesus, may have the preeminence. Just how personally does Jesus take the church? Well, as personally as someone's head takes their body. Jesus is the head of the church. We are his body. You know, there's people in this world who say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I don't even like the church. Can you imagine the wise men showing up, bringing frankincense, myrrh, and gold, and saying to Mary and Joseph, we love Jesus' head. It's a beautiful head. We can't stand his body. Can we just have his head without his body? That's like saying we love Jesus without the church. What, what does the word I represent? The church is about Jesus. It's like someone's bride. The church is Jesus' bride, Ephesians 5. When Paul talks about wives and husbands, he says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. When Jesus looks at the church, it's like talking about his bride, which is why I'm very careful how I talk about other churches, because guys do not like people running smack about their wives. Is their wife flawed? Yes. Does their wife make mistakes? Yes. Talk disrespectful? You're taking your life in your hands. Jesus has incredible ownership. I will build my church. I, the church is about Jesus. That's why, see, it's about Christ's presence in our church. See of Antioch is Christ's presence. The second word is will. What does will represent? The church is about Jesus' promises. The church is about Jesus' promises. He says, I will do something. You guys got people in your life that when they promise they're going to do something, hey, I'll do that. I will do that. You love them. You appreciate them. You don't trust them. How do you know you don't trust them? Because you also write that deadline down. Because you also set an alarm for them. Because you also track it. You don't trust them, though you love them. When Jesus says, I will, it's rock solid. There's people in your world, when they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. They are faithful. They are diligent. They will, be, they will get that thing done. That's Jesus. He, every promise, the truth about Jesus' promises, every promise Jesus gives, he will fulfill. Look at Hebrews 10, 23. The way we live out God's promises is together. He says, let us, not let you individually. 
Let us together believe his promises. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith, of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Jesus, who promised us anything in Scripture, and his promises in Scripture about our identity, promises about our finances, promises about our future, promises about our family, and the church is about Jesus' promises. I will build my church. This is a promise from Jesus Christ that the next word he is going to do, it is rock solid. What is the church about? It's about Jesus and about his promises. What's the third word? The third word is build. I will build my church. I will build my, the church is about restoration. Rebuilding what God intended. Notice, when Jesus made the promise, I will build my church. Notice what he didn't say in the very first mention of church. He did not say, I will entertain my church. I will entertain my church. That's not the promise. He he will not say, he didn't say, I will enrich my church. I will enrich my church. He did not say, I will educate my church. He didn't say that. He says, I will build. I will build my church. It's restoration of what God intended. You see, a church is not a social club, though we are social. The church is not a place where you network, though you can network there. It's not a networking location. The church is not this community of religious elites which look down on others. The church is a spiritual hospital, a spiritual ER, a spiritual rehab center. The church is a spiritual family where you grow. And your participation to receive building and offer building is vital. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says this. 1 Thessalonians 5 11. This is two of the 66 times in the New Testament where God commands us together to do the one another's or the each other's. Therefore, comfort each other and edify, build up one another just as you also are doing. Hey guys, there's like 66 times in Scripture where God commands us to do something for each other or one another. You ever met somebody who says, well, I I can be part of the big C church, but I really don't think I have to be involved in a local church. If you're just involved in the conceptual big C church, that means there's 66 commands, 66 times where God tells you, do this for each other. You can't do that. There's nobody around you. Do this for one another. And two of them are here about building people up. Who in the church are you allowing to build you up in these ways? Who are you building up in your world? Other people. Therefore, comfort each other. The word comfort in Greek is parakaleo. Para, coming with somebody, beside somebody. A para, kaleo, means to call. Therefore, go beside somebody, call to them, encourage them, comfort Who are you comforting, encouraging, calling right beside these days? Who are you allowing to comfort you, to call you, to stay beside you? Edify one another. Who in the church could you point to and say, that person is built up by my interaction with them? Who in the church could you point to and say, well, I am being built up by my interaction with them? Guys, the church is about restoration. Restoration of the relationship with God that he intended with God and other people. Loving God and loving people. I will build. I will build my. The fourth word is my. 
I will build my church. Now, it's funny because years ago, you know, 23 years ago when I, we started Grace, um, you know, our name, Grace, the church's name was Grace. But so many people that I knew didn't call it Grace Church. They called it Tim's Church. Hey, are you going to Tim's Church? I'm going to check out Tim's Church. And I want you to know something. This church, Grace Church, is not Tim's church. It's not my church. One of these days, given enough time, Lord willing, there'll be another pastor who's the senior pastor of Grace Church, and another, and another. You see, our North Overland Park campus is not Chris's church. Our Olathe campus is not Brian's church. Our South Overland Park campus is not Justin's church. It's not my church. It's not their church. Frankly, it's not even your church. It's not your church. Jesus says, I will build my church. What's that mean? The church is about servanthood. This is not about us. It's about serving him. You know what servants do? Servants ask their leader what they should do. Then they listen. And whatever their leader tells them, they do that. That's what we find in Galatians 5.13. Galatians 5.13 says, We've been set free to serve, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty, your freedom, as an opportunity for the flesh. Like in Jesus Christ, you are set free from every rule and regulation to make you right before God. It's incredible. It's shocking. But he did not set you free. So you could please yourself, live for yourself, accumulate for yourself, lead yourself, be in first place, get the most, die with the most stuff. He did that so you choose to serve. But through love, through undeserved acceptance of other people, serve one another. Guys, the church is about servanthood. I was talking to a guy named Brian who... um, was part of our church for years, started serving in ministry, led one of our areas of ministry. It was not a legitimate, like a real Christian. He would tell you that. And he told me with tears recently that his heart broke about the years that he wasted because the church was about him. What can the church do for me? What's in it for me? That's not servanthood. Servanthood is what does God want me to do? How does God want me to serve? Who does God want me to help? The church is about servanthood. All of us called together to serve one another. I will build my, it's his church. And the fifth word is church. I will build my church. The word church is the word community. The church is about community. Like the Greek word, uh, the Greek word for church is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. Uh, it were, it's a word literally means gathering. When you assemble. That means the church can't even be the church unless there's two or three or more people there. You have to gather. Choose to carve out time out of your calendar to gather to become the church, the ecclesia, the gathering, the root word means called out. Many people call it the called out assembly, the called out gathering. Jesus described his vision for the church. It's a place of his love being shown. John chapter 15 verse 12 says this. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another 
as I have loved you. Jesus' heart for the church was that as you read the Gospels, Jesus' commitment to his small group of men, these, these 12 guys, he was number 13. You see the time they spent together. You see the way they encouraged each other, supported each other. You see how they live life together. I mean, they're picturing, by the way, life in a small group. Like, there's a reality that unless you're engaged in a ministry and small group, if you're kind of a person who comes to church and leaves, comes to church and leaves, if you're, if you're a church knickknack, if you're a church, you know, knickknacks, they're in your house, they sit in your house, they take up space, they collect stu- dust, they do nothing. If you're a church knickknack, there's a real chance that you, you can't experience the life-giving community that God has where you're experiencing the love that Jesus has offered to you. You're offering the love to other people. The church is about community. There's a guy in our church, a church planter heading to San Diego named Jimmy, who said with tears in his eyes that when he showed up in church, what struck him was the love and acceptance of him just as he is. The church is about community. I will build my church. What is Jesus doing all the time, 24-7 for the last 2,000 years? He is building his church. The church is the hope of the world. The church is God's plan A to reach the world, push back darkness, bring forward the light. That's the church. I want to share with you what one household's journey with All In was all about. I got this email. This person told me a bit of their story, and I was just blown away. So, like, this is, this is like week one to when they made a, a commitment to All In. Check this out, guys. So, here's what they wrote. So, the first Sunday of the All In series, that'd be six weeks ago, I felt I had a definite number for giving in my head. Upon talking with my husband that evening, we realized our numbers were very close, like almost the exact same. Woohoo! Easy! We're done! We agreed to keep praying about it as confirmation that it was indeed what God was asking of us. Week number two. Okay, now we have different numbers in mind, vastly different numbers from each other. My husband's was a percentage, and mine became an amount, and I'm asking, Am I even hearing from God? Was I even listening? Confused, we agreed to keep praying individually, then meet back the following week. Week three. My husband confidently tells me that God told him to double our giving. You see, we faithfully and intentionally paid give 10% as our tithes. And God was telling him to double it to 20%. After vomiting in my mouth a little... I asked him how exactly he came to this because there is absolutely no way he heard that from God. Week four, two weekends ago, our numbers were still not lining up. So we considered the idea that maybe compromising and giving the halfway point between my number and my husband's number, but neither of us felt like that was from God though. Today, their commitment day was a whirlwind. Here we are so torn over handing over extra money to God when people are on the other side of the world literally dying for him. So what if my husband's right? What if we need to double our giving? How selfish am I? 
Money, they write, is so temporary. Money isn't even my money. God doubled our income in the last year. Why wouldn't we double our giving in that moment? My husband and I looked at each other. Then we looked down at our card. At the same time, we both pointed to the number we were ready to commit to, the number on the giving chart for them. It was the same number. The number God told my husband just one week before I heard him tell me, that number made me almost puke when my husband even mentioned it because that number now is triple the number I felt God was calling us to give on week two. But we both pointed to the same number. We're going to have to make some big sacrifices to pull this one off. But I'm excited. Excited to see God move in many miraculous ways. We are all in. Guys, that's an incredible story of the up and down roller coaster when God is working on your heart to bring you to full surrender. Here is one more question. What if, I, what if I'm not sure? What if I'm not sure what to do? So that, this actually came this week. I had a guy grab me this week and says, hey, Tim, I've got, you know, we got two numbers. We've got kind of a larger number that uh, one person in our household thinks, and, and I've got another number that's smaller number. These rocks represent all-in commitments. Like, what do you do? And so I said, well, it's, okay, it's, it's more art than science, first of all. I said, I can't specifically tell you what you should do. But I can say how I process this. Many people, when they wait for God to speak to them, they wait for perfect like handwriting on the wall. I want a text message from God without a doubt. And we operate in the realm of faith. And there are times, like this time, where you operate and you commit based on the best information you have today. I said, so if you had to stand before God, of the two numbers, and I, I really want whatever number you say is God. This number, this number, that's great. If you had to stand before God, though, and people, which number would you say is God's number? He said, I, I think God's trying to grow me, grow me to be more generous. I think it's the big number. And I said, whatever you sense, here's what you do. You say, God, okay, this is our all-in commitment card. And the best knowledge we have, this is it. And God, you need to change our mind. We are stepping out in faith now. This is what we know. This is what we're committing to. And God, we're open to you changing our mind. But God, we are committed to this. In Jesus' name, amen. We operate in the best knowledge we have. We tell God that is his problem. God, you spoke to us. I'm obeying. I'm following you. I'll do that. We have over here 373 rocks, 373 stones of people who've made all-in commitments all we've asked you to do is ask the Lord about your generosity. Listen, even if God says don't do anything different, and if God tells you don't do anything different, put that down on a card, let us know. Will you commit to ask God about your generosity? Will you listen? Will you do that? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at 
For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.